everybody. Howdy, buzzards. This is Macy. This is Nicole. And you're listening to Buzz Killers. We just started <laughs> grinning so much <laughs> when we just did that. I forgot. Well, I didn't forget. I was I mean, busy, but I was like, <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> so we like recorded all of last month within like the first two weeks because we were going to be so busy. And so we haven't been behind the microphones in like three almost four weeks i know and so we came we like walked into the pod room we were like oh my god i forgot about this i missed this but it doesn't <laughs> look the same no the, <laughs> it's um okay we are recording and it is september 1st so yeah it it's halloween eve basically um all the month of september is halloween eve mm-hmm. that is my very very opinionated opinion <laughs> so all of these spooky <laughs> decorations that are normally shoved up into the pod room are now amongst the house because spook yeah <laughs> spook spook motherfucker it is it is the acceptable season to release the spook <laughs> Did, okay there is this if you follow our social media you'll know what i'm talking about i uh posted this meme today and it was like me colon what an unseasonably warm fall day we're having. Them. It's still some dot 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 me. What an unseasonably hot fall day we're having. <laughs> and it's like all in caps. <laughs> September 1st should just be the first day of fall. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> I am in Excuse me. denial of actual dates of things. I mean, they're like, it's not the fall till the 22nd. Fine. You want to pull that bullshit? It ain't it ain't winter until like a week before Christmas, bitches. So I'm keeping my fucking Halloween stuff up until like December 17th. <laughs> I only put up fall stuff for Thanksgiving. I like don't own fall stuff. I mean, I, I have, have a few things. I have a few little pumpkins, but they're normally <laughs> accompanied by some kind of skull or tombstone kind of thing and they're spooky i love it did i told ryan that he needs to get the decorations out of the garage and when i left he was napping on the couch i don't think it's gonna happen oh that's sad he spent all morning um uh, remodeling his parents bathroom though so i don't blame him for being tired his alarm went off and he like actually got up and like did things today whereas (laughs) i did not go to work today so i was like he's sleep and nothingness i went to work (laughs) i'm boring (laughs) i went to work um but anyway guys we're so happy to be back we're so happy to be back sorry Mm -hmm. if this episode has maybe a little more banter (laughs) than you would appreciate just skip right through that if you feel so inclined this month the month of september is drum roll please the cecil hotel month So we've got Spook Spook and True Crime coming to you all month long because a lot of weird shit's happened at the Cecil. Everybody's probably like, what the fuck's this month going to be about? Well, guys, we're touching on a lot of shit that touches upon the Cecil Hotel in every way, shape, and form. So we have a lot of cases that connect to it, a lot of things that happen in it, a lot of spooky stuff that happens in and around it. I won't give anything away. It's going to be a fun month. This is... A month that we've been planning for quite some time and we finally were like let's pull the trigger we're gonna fucking do this month because we've been we wanted to do it last month but last month was so busy and we were like okay they'll get the big like 
one year anniversary wow awesome month like a month late (laughs) i'm also waving around my spooky bow that was around my microphone because i had to take it off yeah we didn't (laughs) i don't know why we had that on there to like know each other's microphones like whose was whose but we don't need that anymore. (laughs) well it's because we used to switch chairs and then we used to move the microphones because we thought that was a great idea and then we're like this is the stupidest idea we've ever had why don't we just sit in the same spots (laughs) 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 you guys we had like a storytelling chair (laughs) i liked the storytelling chair idea but it was annoying. Yeah. I liked the idea of it. So now every chair in this room is well, a storytelling chair. It was good at first when you didn't have the futon here because we only you had that big like round chair. Well, that one was hot. And, and we had the mic that picked up all the noise. Yep. Ever. And you had to like sit very still in that round chair because it <laughs> creaks a lot. So that was like the listening chair because it like kind of cocoons you. It's like one of those like wooden like half circle chairs that you like sink into. So that was the listener chair. What What's that um, store that I got from? Pier? Pier 1. Pier 1. Pier 1 in Bourne. Yes. $100. <laughs> They're like not really open anymore. No. If you can find one, it's our diamond in a rough and it's probably going to close in a month. Anyway. Say. Uh, All right, guys. We're drinking wine this time because they're not many. Yes. We've got some really cool wine here. We're going to do our mouthfeels right now. It is yeah. called Spellbound. And I love this bottle. It is beautiful. It's like all the phases of the moon. Um, and it is a California Chardonnay. And I've got like two explanations kind of to do. So hold, please. Holding the wine. The one on the <laughs> bottle says, everyone knows the warm sun nurtures plants, bringing grapevine, grapevines to full maturity. But it's the moon, ruler of the tides, whose gravitational force helps pull water up from the soil during the cool nights that has influenced farmers since ancient times. Our food-friendly wines are true to their roots, expressing ripe varietal character and spellbinding flavors. And I had to go find what their actual spellbinding flavors were. (laughs) On another website, this is from TotalWine.com, this Chardonnay features bright and lush tropical fruit flavors of pineapple, banana, guava, and kiwi. These bright flavors are balanced with the notes of vanilla and classic creme brulee. Ooh. Yeah. Fancy. Cheers, bitch. Cheers to our mouthfeel. Yes. Let's see. Ooh. Ooh, I really like that. Oh, that's good. I love it. That's like... I don't think I've ever tasted a Chardonnay like this before. It's very crisp. It is. And I really like that. I love it. We got that other Chardonnay, the wolf, werewolf Chardonnay, too. That one's also really good, but they definitely don't taste anything alike. No, the other one was so banana forward. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell what's forward in this. I don't know. It's it's just crisp is definitely the right word. Well, because it has all of those tropical flavors, like that vanilla is just like it's so good. I love it. Well, guys, go pick up a bottle of Spellbound. Wait, wait. Out of five. I know. What are your okay. mouthfeels? <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> what are, how many mouthfeels, Nicole? One out of five. I'm going to give this a five. Yeah, I'm giving it a five, too. Screw that. This is, this is a ten out of ten mouthfeels, people. I feel like we get a lot of those. <laughs> I feel like we either have, like, this one's kind of meh. And then we have, like, this one's fucking amazing. <laughs> Guys, I just shop by the label. Literally, that's how we buy our wines. <laughs> there are so many people cringing by it. <laughs> but you know what? 
it has it, uh, it has changed my palate, so I appreciate it. I shop by I shop by the label and the price tag. <laughs> yes. Because there's been a few times I've been like, ooh, look at that pretty label, and it's like the spooky little skeleton thing on it. And I go to pick up the bottle, it's like fucking sixty dollars. Like, it's, like like pri- it's like the prisoner, first of all, which I've heard is an amazing wine yeah. brand, but it's like fifty bucks a bottle, and I'm like, I can't afford that. <laughs> if anybody wants to know what to get us for Christmas, an expensive spooky bottle of wine. That'll be the greatest Isn't day of our lives. Isn't that what we got for my birthday last year? Yeah, that, that was the first time we tried Freak Show. Yeah, because we Brandy gave it to. We us. wanted to try it for so so long, and we like could we like hadn't justified it at that point because we just started the podcast. And we yeah. were like we were like oh it's like twenty dollars a bottle. <laughs> and, was, and now I come out of like there out of there with like two hundred dollars worth <laughs> of wine. Literally, and I don't think I buy a bottle that's anything under like fifteen dollars now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which is actually, that's such a lie. I think my favorite bottle of wine that I, that Ryan and I had the other night is like, I think it's like $7. It's I really super like, cheap, but it's so good. I really like that Snoop Dogg Rosé. I really like I it. I love Snoop Rosé. Um, and that is like 12 Yeah. That's like 12 I yeah. love that. But I like this. And this was not, from what I remember, was not that expensive. Cool. <laughs> but I did best. get it. With Mama V, <laughs> of course, which means it's like so it's like hours away, like a couple hours away. But <laughs> you know, I'll be there again soon. soon. Probably. All right, well, Nicole. So what are we talking about today? So <laughs> this case just has like a singular obscure reference to the Cecil Hotel. Like, I thought there was a little bit more involvement. There's not. It does touch upon the Cecil, but. Very, that very, doesn't matter. Very lightly. It's, it's, it's in the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this has everything to do with the Cecil. But I am going to be talking about the horrific murder. Murder. <laughs> the horrific <Buck> moida. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just made myself laugh. <laughs> I said the Dwight thing where he's like, it's called murder, not muck duck. <laughs> I just said moida. <laughs> moida. Huh? It's a horrific moida. <laughs> Stop saying it. <laughs> it literally just makes me giggle. Oh, man. <laughs> so, murder's not funny, guys. Um, <laughs> Only when you say Moida. Um, I am going to be telling you about the horrific murder of Elizabeth Short. Coming out the gate strong. If you do not know, is also called the Black Dahlia. But don't. Which is one thing that I came across a lot in this case is that a lot of people do not know her real name that's sad and it's very sad i actually i texted a friend and they were like oh what case are you doing this week and i was like oh i'm doing elizabeth short they were like oh i've never heard of that one i'm gonna have to listen to that and i was like no no you've heard of this they were like are you sure and i was like black dahlia and they went oh i was like Oh, this makes me really sad. That's so sad. She's just like known by some obscure nickname that was just given to her for like very stupid reasons. And like her name is Elizabeth Short. Yes. Let's get that straight right now. Please remember her name is Elizabeth Short. She is not. I mean, they call her the Black Dahlia. That's the name of the case more often than not when you search it. But she's a human being with a name, people. This is not a nickname that she went by. This is just like a name that was given to her. After she died. After she died. So just call her by her name. Yeah. 
So I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about who Elizabeth, and they call her Beth, um, okay. Beth Short was. So she was born on July 29th, 1924 in Hyde Park, Massachusetts. Woo! Things that I did not know until I started looking into this case. Um, she um, was born to her parents, Cleo and Phoebe Short, and she had four sisters growing up. Okay. Um, when she was very young, her father actually left the family and mm. her mother basically raised them herself. So her and four sisters raised singularly by a mother during the Great Depression. Oh, man. Wow. Um, they lived in Medford, Massachusetts, which is like a stone's throw from where I lived in Massachusetts before I moved. <laughs> um, and they all attended school there. Um, Elizabeth was described as a fair-skinned, blue-eyed, brown-haired girl, and she was often known as very attractive. She was super well-liked growing up. Um, a lot of her classmates, actually, um, they remembered her as being extremely starstruck. She wanted nothing more than to be on the big screen. Um, they actually nicknamed her Medford High's Deanna Durbin. And for those who don't know, like me, <laughs> um, Deanna Durbin was actually a famous singer and actress at the time. Oh, okay. Um, so Beth was an all-around sweet girl people really liked her they had really nothing just nothing bad to say about her they'd kind of just said she'd really had her head in the clouds and was just like ready to be famous okay um she ended up actually not finishing high school and she dropped out her sophomore year to try to travel around and shoot her shot mm -hmm. um she traveled quite a bit and um when she first started traveling, she would write home every week and tell them all about her big adventures and where she was and the people she met and all that hoodala. And um, she originally started by venturing out to Florida, but she didn't really like it there too much. And she made her way out to California, which, as many of you know, is where her ending began. Um, Beth was actually contacted by her estranged father in 1942, Cleo. Mm -hmm. and he said like i'm out in california if you want to come live with me i will pay your way out here and she took the offer so she moved out there and at this time he was living in a city called vallejo okay which, thank you to i can't remember what book i was listening to that said that and i was like thank god somebody said that i would have slaughtered it if they didn't <laughs> um <laughs> She they she moved in with her father there, and he they ended up not staying there very long because almost immediately Beth started hanging out with some really shady guy that had like a criminal past, and her father was not cool with that and was like, "Nope, yoink," and like zipped them out of the area and moved them to Los Angeles. Okay. Um, they lived in L.A. for only about a year, and then um, Beth left her father. In January of 1943, and went up to Lompoc, Lompoc, I think that's how you say that, California, L-O-M-P-O-C, Lompoc, Lompoc, <laughs> okay, <laughs> California, um, where she was actually hoping to get a job with Camp Cook Army Base as just a clerk. So she actually did get this job, um, but once again, she was only there for a couple weeks before leaving again. Hmm. Okay. She moved a lot. Um, and it became to the point where um, I found this absolutely wonderful website, and I'm going to list a lot of sources throughout this because there was a couple that, like, really freaking made this for me. Um, and it's called theblackdollyandhollywood.com. Okay. And this website is literally so big, it's broken into chapters. <laughs> oh. There's, like, 38 chapters. It's insane. And wow. it 
it like will if you are interested it will walk you through every single known place she ever stayed at for how long and it was like it's the point where like Shit. she was here for two months and then she was here for three months and she was here for two weeks and then she was here for four months and like she bounced around for so many years so very quickly okay okay um so i am not going to drag that out because it would become extremely boring <laughs> but um she just started living basically everywhere she lived in hotels she lived in campsites she slept on people's couches she lived in, she slept in cars um and she bounced all around to the point where she occasionally went back to florida for a little bit and then she even made her way home to massachusetts for a little while okay um and then finally um 1946 so this is about three years later um beth actually met a man named gordon fickling in her travels and they got married oh and this lasted about a week before she left him to continue traveling (laughs) 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 okay They, they like were together for a little while traveled a little bit together um but they did not stay together Okay. Um, at this point, she was still very young. She was only 22 years old. Okay. Um, so she headed back to L.A. in July of that year, um, where she really wanted to try and start making a name for herself in Hollywood. Okay. So at this point, she actually did manage to work on a few films, but they were very small roles, nothing that she was known for. Okay. Elizabeth Short did not become famous until she died, which oh is man. a very sad fact. Yeah. Um, she was in a few films. One was Monsieur Verdot, which was a Charlie Chaplin film. She was in a movie called Temptation with Merle Oberon. I don't know who that is. And she was in a movie called Smash Up, which was a Susan Hayward film. Okay. Like, those sound like important people. What was the first one? Monsieur Verdot? Monsieur Verdot. Okay. It's a Charlie Chaplin, so that, that was probably really cool. That was probably really um, fun. But again, these were very small roles, and she this did not really make her anybody. Okay. Um, these were the only movie roles she ever had. So, again, she kind of kept moving around a little bit, and about four months before her death, she was back in L.A. Okay. Um. At this time, she was telling people that she was working for an airline, which actually turned out to be untrue. She was unemployed. Do not know why she was lying about this, but she was. Okay. Um, so the last day she is confirmed to have been seen alive is January 9th of 1947. Okay. She was staying at the Biltmore Hotel. Okay. And she, that night, was seen by many hotel guests and a lot of the staff she was in the lobby and she was pacing back and forth she was super unhappy really like infuriated she kept picking up the pay the faith excuse me the payphone and trying to call somebody and she'd get more and more agitated as like clearly nobody was answering um she had to keep getting more change from the desk clerk because she kept using all of her coins and everything um, and then she finally uh, managed to get a hold of whoever she was trying to call. Um, and they said that, like, her demeanor changed almost immediately. She was, like, happy again and ball bubbly. And, like, after the call, just, like, flounced her way out the front doors. And that's one of the last times she was ever seen. Um, uh, this is, after this, she's been rumored to have been seen many different places 
by many different people. One of those places is the Cecil Hotel. Okay. Um, that's one of the more popular places that she's rumored to have been spotted in the days before she is found dead. Okay. She is missing for six days before they find her body. So after January 9th, there's all these different rumors. Oh, she was seen on one of the electric trolley cars. She was seen walking on the street corner to this guy. She was in this restaurant at this bar. All these claims, but no one could positively identify her. So okay. Okay. there's a million rumors. None of them have been actually substantiated. Got it. Um, it is not until January 15th of 1947 that Betty Bursinger was walking her young daughter in a stroller when she spotted a body in the brush on the side of the road. Oh my god. She moved very quickly and like she like didn't want her daughter to see so she like hurried past and quickly went to one of the houses nearby and called authorities. Okay. Somehow this did not get reported properly. And they said that the call was very confusing. And at first, they actually did not know who Betty was. It took them a while to figure out who actually called 911. The code that was originally assigned to the call was a 390, which is a report of a drunk. So authorities did not know that there was a dead body. They thought they were going to a scene where there was going to be a drunk wandering around. What? (laughs) At this time, it was also very um, common, sorry, for reporters to have police scanners. So when things like this were called in, reporters also got the call. Okay. Now, unfortunately, the first people on scene were not police. It was reporters. That's how they have all those fucking pictures. Yep. Oh, yeah. Shit. So the first people on scene was reporter Will Fowler and his photographer, Felix. And I'm sorry if I say this wrong. I think it's Pagel. Um, okay. Will Fowler, who actually went on to write a book about this, um, d- in, which, in which he describes, like, getting to the scene and finding the body mm-hmm. and realizing the mistake that the police had made in the code and, like, what he actually just come across. Mm-hmm. Um, he said the body of an extremely pale woman lay face up in the grass. Her legs were spread. Her arms were stretched above her head. She was severed completely in half at the waist, and her right breast had been sliced off. There was a large chunk of skin missing from her thigh, as well as a medical incision in her pubic region. Her nails were horrifyingly dirty and torn up her hair had a really poor dye job it was black but you could tell that like there was brown roots sticking out Mm. and he just said she looked just odd he said he and um actually ended up closing her eyes her eyes were open oh my god um and he closed her eyes before letting his photographer document the scene And so he took all these notes while his photographer documented it, which is why we have so many public images of her crime scene. Which, (sighs) this is, and it's something that's mentioned many, many times in a lot of the sources I went through that it's like, it's almost unbelievable how poorly the scene of this crime was handled. 
Oh, man. Oh. Um, okay. So police finally did arrive. Um, and despite the police presence, reporters were still permitted to continue to come onto the scene and document and take photos. Yeah, but what, the, my thing, though, is, like, I guess I can kind of understand that. Because once these other guys have gotten it, like, you can't, like, they'd have so many lawsuits on their hands for, like, discrimination against the press or whatever they call it. Like, I honestly don't know. Silencing the press. I mean, I just know that normally you try and shut down an active crime scene so people don't stomp all over evidence. That's true. But, but uh, they already handled it poorly. So I guess they were like. But these okay. these photos that Pagel took were posted the, the same day. Are you kidding me? Nope. How did they get them that fast? They immediately took them back to the L.A. examiner, who they worked for, and immediately had the photos processed and developed and printed. They actually retouched most of the photos that were printed because her body was so gruesome. The wounds that she had were so gruesome that they wanted to spare their readers. And no, you could not just see the air quotes I made, guys around spare their readers they still posted the naked body severed in half on the front page of their newspaper um yeah that's fucked so unfortunately on the scene not a lot of evidence was found okay um one thing they did find was a paper cement bag and it had water diluted blood on it so hmm. they theorized that this bag was probably one of a few bags that might have been used to move her body. Okay. Um, there was tire prints near the sidewalk and a bloody men's shoe print. And this ended up not being properly secured or recorded because of all the reporters. What? Um, <laughs> but aside from the water diluted blood that was on that bag, there was no blood at the scene. And this woman has been completely bisected. Was she, like, drained of her blood? Yes. What? So somebody, like, what the fuck? Oh, you just wait for this. It gets worse. So clearly she had been killed somewhere else Mm -hmm. and left here. And one of the first things that was obvious to them was that this is not a pose that she ended up in. By simply being tossed out of a car that was rolling past. She was placed like this and posed on purpose. Um, So at first, they didn't really know who she was. So she was listed as Jane Doe number one. She's like disfigured. So now I'm going to BATW guys here. This is pretty gruesome. This is okay. the autopsy report. Okay, okay. Big ass trigger warning, guys. Um, so her official cause of death, she died from a hemorrhage and shock. Um, from a contusion, um, from sorry, from a concussion, along with the lacerations that were on her face. She had been cut from the corners of both sides of her mouth up to her ears. Like a Joker-esque smile. Oh my god. Um, That's what she died from? From the sh- from hemorrhage and like shock because she also had a concussion. She had been struck repeatedly in the head with a blunt object. Oh my god! Um, and then, as I mentioned, she had been bisected. Oh my god! The 
um, manner in which she was bisected was extremely professional. So this is actually a medical procedure and it is called, (laughs) I'm going to say this wrong, (laughs) a hemocortectomy. Hemocortectomy. I believe. Okay. I'm saying that properly. And this is basically the procedure to amputate a person's lower half. It is the only way to bisect a person in half without having to go through bone. There's a one spot in the spine where you get between the spine and the lower part of the body without having to actually like the pelvis? physically cut through the bone. Yes. Okay. So, so, like, you would have to know where that spot is. Exactly. Okay. And this was not some hack job. This was performed clearly with medical tools. It was mm. very precise. It was very clean. Okay. Um, and it was confirmed by three different doctors who looked at this that this had to be done by somebody who had medical knowledge. Okay. Um, Sorry, guys. I needed more wine. <laughs> they said that... On top of the wounds that have been mentioned, she had eight cigarette burns on her back. What? She had ligature marks on her feet, hands, and neck. She had scalpel, uh, oh, no, sorry, <laughs> scalpel lacerations on her upper lip outside of the two slices up to her ears. She had been sodomized with an unknown object. Um, a piece of her skin from her thigh had been sliced off and inserted into her vagina. What? They determined that she had been cleaned after her death with a coconut fiber brush because they found the fibers on her body. Oh my god. She was completely drained of all blood. They only had a few drops to test just enough to determine that she had AB AB type blood. Oh my god. Her stomach her stomach was filled with feces which what? they determined she had been forced to eat before her death. What the fuck? And they believe she had died just after 10 a.m. the day before she was discovered and they believe that she was dumped around 2 a.m. What the fuck? I <laughs> I know a lot about the Black Dahlia case. I came into this knowing quite a bit because I've always been very interested. But there were certain things in here that I was like, I did not know that. Oh, my. Like, this poor woman was horrifyingly tortured and dissected. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Man. So, yeah. Um, I don't know what to say. (laughs) We had to just take a minute to compose ourselves. Um... (laughs) Yeah, that's unfortunately her her gruesome autopsy. It, it really makes me upset that like no one knows what. No, I mean they people like there's oh, no. like a big theory that's pretty. Oh, there's there's a big theory, and we're gonna fucking talk about it, and you're gonna come out of this going why? <laughs> this makes me it, like <laughs> you go from really gross to like grossed out to really freaking angry. Okay, this makes me angry. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry if I just blew your speakers screaming why. Now, they identified her very quickly, but they didn't release that information right away. Okay. How Um, did they identify her? They actually used, and I'm going, I did not write down the term for it. It was basically this miniature pocket scanner that reporters had on them. Oh. And 
they scanned her fingerprints with it and sent her fingerprints off. And they had they had them back within the day. They, really? They identified her extremely quick. Um, okay. They actually had her in the system because when she applied to the job at the army base, they had to fingerprint her. And then she had also been arrested once for drinking underage. Okay. Um, so her prints were in the system. Okay. So as soon as they scanned them in and checked for them, they found her. Got it. Um, but like I said, they did not know this. So the newspapers were trying to help identify her. Mm-hmm. And one description that I'm going to read to you now was actually put into the newspaper. This was straight out of a newspaper. Okay, guys, this is a quote. Okay. <laughs> description of dead girl given. Do you know a missing girl who chewed her fingernails? If so, she may be the victim of yesterday's mutilation slain. The what? dead girl's age. De- de- I'm sorry. The dead girl's description. Age between 15 and 16 years. Not right. Um, weight 118 pounds. Eyes gray, blue, or gray green. Nose small, turned up. Ears small lobes. Eyelashes virtually colorless. This is so bizarre. Um, <laughs> hair hennaed, but originally dark and dark brown, grown out. Foot size six and a half. Toenails enameled pink. <laughs> Scars, three and a half inch operation scar on right side of back. One, one and a half inch scar on right abdomen, possibly appendectomy. Vaccination scar, left thigh. Small scar on left knee and, a, and another above the knee. Moles, six small moles on back of neck below collar line. Another in small of back. General description, rather well developed, small bones with trim legs. They were, first of all, horrifyingly off. What? They said she was between 15 and 16 years old. She was freaking 22. Um, she was a very small girl. But Wow. Okay. That's very specific yeah. and not correct. And they actually posted it as a contest. What? To try and get people to, like, like, give people an incentive to call in to try and help identify her. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but obviously, they figured out who she was already. And it was eventually, it eventually became known um, under the Freedom of Information Act that they had positively identified her as Elizabeth Short using her fingerprints the same day she died. Um, Oh. So the details of this crime literally broke records. Elizabeth Short's story was on page one of the LA Examiner for 31 days straight. No way. It is the longest that any story has been on the front page. Shit. Okay. For this newspaper, at least. Okay. Okay. Um, the January 16th edition, which is the day after her body was found, um, was, in st- I believe, still is the top sold edition of the L Examiner in history. They sold more copies of that January 16th, 1974 newspaper than any other print they've ever put out. Wait, what year was that? Did I say 19? I thought you said 1974. I probably did by accident because dyslexia. I was like, wait. (laughs) 1947. Okay. Dyslexia. Okay, I just wanted to check. (laughs) Um, I was like, wait, I thought this was much earlier than that. (laughs) And, um... The thing I hate most is that she has been given the nickname Black Dahlia 
um, because the color of her hair at the time of her death, along with what became known as her like liking of black dresses. She really liked to wear black dresses. And they somehow identified her with a movie that had come out the year prior that was called The Blue Dahlia. So they just changed it. They just changed it and they called her the Black Dahlia. I think it's so stupid. She's Elizabeth Short. Anyway. <laughs> so Nicole has some feelings. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> there is a lot. I went through a lot of sources for this where the main suspect, who I will get into, becomes the focus of said source. And it's like, okay, yes, this man was very fucked up, and I do believe he is guilty. But Elizabeth Short is the one who is murdered. She is the victim. She's the victim. We are more obsessed with this man's story than we are with hers. And it kind of bothers me a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting to delve into his life. Yes. But he was also supposedly a fucking murderer. Murderer and a perv and a creep and just gross and a pedophile yeah guys if you don't know who this is i'm really sorry but you're gonna learn you'll you'll find out you're gonna learn and it's not gonna be pretty spoilers (laughs) (laughs) um so like i mentioned they traced all of her last known whereabouts and kind of discovered the aforementioned facts um a lot of people like i mentioned again came forward and tried to say oh i saw her this night i saw her this night between the 9th and the 15th when she was discovered Again, none of it stuck. I um, oh, I think she was held for m- all that torture. Um, do you know how long it would take to drain an entire body of all of its blood? A long time. Long fucking time. I think she was held. I was th- at least for a couple days, if gonna, not that entire. What you said, it was six days or something. They didn't know where she was. If not the entire six days, at at least three or four. Yeah. She was last seen the night of the 9th, and they found her the morning of the 15th. Yeah. So they started speaking with a lot of people in her life. They talked to her hairdresser. They talked to um, previous um, or like employees that um, that she had like worked alongside of uh, literally everywhere. Okay. Because she worked at a million places. Right. Because she moved around. And they talked to people that, like, worked at the restaurants that she liked to dine at. They would talk to fucking literally anybody because they had nothing. Nothing. This girl was basically unknown. They, very few people were truly, like, her friend. Her family was all the way back in Massachusetts. She knew a lot of people, but she didn't really have any close confidants. Right. Um... So they just kind of worked their way through her life as best they could. Um, At one point, the news actually got a hold of the fact that the police were looking for a battered black Model A Ford. And they were looking for the man who owned it. He was supposedly about 5'9", between 25 and 30 years old, and weighed around 150 pounds, was blonde, and had blue eyes. Okay. Why they were looking for him was because his car was seen at the same place where Beth's body was found. Okay. Um, as far as I can find, nothing came of this. This was like the only time I heard about this. They were like, oh, we were looking for this Ford. I was like, did they find it? Did they find the Ford? Did they, did they find it? <laughs> 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 Apparently it wasn't that important. Um, 
I mean, or maybe they found it and just were like, okay, he had nothing to do with this. And so they just, right from the start, were really struggling to find any information about her. Um, they then received an anonymous letter. The letter was improperly addressed. They addressed it to the LA Examiner and all other LA newspapers. And so it got held up at the post office. And the envelope had cut out letters, like stereotypical ransom note style, cut out fucking newspaper magazine style letters on it that said, here is Dahlia's belonging, belongings, sorry, letter to follow. And one of the people that worked at the post office was like, what? And they called police. Um, police found this like bulging, basically ripped open envelope contained 23 items, which did belong mostly, at least as far as they could tell to Elizabeth Short. Oh my God. It included her birth certificate, her social security card, her personal address book, along with several different photos of either like her with people or people that she knew um, there was receipts from, like, things that she'd bought, places she'd eaten. So, um, like, the contents of her purse. I mean, would you have your social security card and your certif- birth certificate in your purse? I don't know, but back I back in 1947. I was going to say, back then, who knows? Yeah. Um, and there was also a business card for a, na- a main, uh, ooh, uh, excuse me, a <laughs> man named Brant Orr. Um, taped to the envelope and Brant Orr was actually a man who lived on the same street where Beth's father had lived in Vallejo. Okay. Um, the envelope itself had been soaked in gasoline and they think it might have been to remove evidence like DNA or something. Um, uh, well, if you're licking the seal, yeah. But um, we don't do that anymore because it's COVID. They Right. (laughs) (laughs) They either stick themselves with a little sticky strip or I tape it. (laughs) Um, But not long after, they actually also received an anonymous phone call that said, don't don't try to find the short girl's murderer because you won't. Um, They got basically nothing out of this. As far as I could tell, Brant Orr was nobody. And this was kind of a dead end. Um, They did receive several other notes in the mail anonymously from the supposed killer but this got them nothing and i literally couldn't find anything that talked about more than just that one envelope that had like all her stuff in it so apparently this was not extremely important (laughs) um so authorities then located a shoe and a purse that had been discarded into trash cans behind a random restaurant. Um, the restaurant owner saw them, thought it was really odd, just called it into the police. Um, they brought in somebody who um, had been friends with Beth, and they positively identified it as belonging to her. Oh, like her shoe and her purse. Yeah. Okay. Um, but this, again, got them nowhere. They were like, okay, we have her shoe and her purse. Now what? Right. It was nothing. Okay. It basically. Um, so, t- 
time passes, about two years later, they still don't really have much on this case. They got a new lead that brought them to the New Astor Motel. And many believe that she could have been killed there. I don't personally see the connection. I think there may have been a murder there, but I don't think it was necessarily her murder. murder. Okay. Um, Especially just because of the way she was so perfectly bisected. And you would need to have tools and space. Exactly. Exactly. And like the fact that she was tortured clearly while she was alive. Yeah. Nobody in a motel is going to like not hear anything. Right. And it's like, granted, I guess some of those places are sketchy and people just tend to like, whatever. I feel like they would probably have heard her being cut in half. Anyway. Or at least the whir of the saw. Something. You have to have something. Unless you're like, I mean, I don't know what you, I don't know how doctors do that. I don't know. (laughs) I don't don't either. So two years later, it is 1949. um, The authorities go out to this motel. They're talking to the people. And this is something that happened before her death that they did not originally report. They said that days before her murder, the staff had found a room filled with bloody blankets, bloody clothing, belonging to both a male and a female, and that there were also human feces smeared about the room. Yowza. The motel was cleaned. They just, like, cleaned it. They didn't fucking report it. I don't know why they didn't fucking report it. I, Well, I mean, who knew that, that she had feces in her stomach? No one. But, like, I'm sorry, you just found a room full of blood. And, like, they said it was a significant amount of blood. You think your first thought would be, I'm going to call 911 and not clean the room? I don't know. Um, but they cleaned the room. And oh, man. they, like, got rid of all the evidence. They literally said they, like, burned the clothes. What? Yeah. Yep. Um. So they can't even test to see if it's, like, AB positive or what is it? AB. It was just they just said AB type. AB type. Okay. They didn't so they can't even tell if, she, if it's the same type of blood. Yeah. So they tried to have witnesses ID the people that stayed in the room at that time and like people that were also there at the, around that time. Nothing worked out. Um, they ended up dropping this angle because they couldn't prove absolutely anything about it. They could not link her to it. Some people swore that there was a young girl staying in that room, but none of them could positively positively identify her as Elizabeth Short. Right. So this got them nowhere again. Okay. Um, and they went after quite a few people in her life. One of them was um, an acquaintance. Acquaintance. yep and his name was mark hansen he lived in hollywood beth had stayed with him a few times the few like uh, during all of her travels occasionally she would stay with him for a few months um he didn't have any evidence against him they really couldn't bring anything against him find anything on him that angle was also dropped they went after a man named leslie dillon um I totally didn't write down. Oh, I swear to God, I wrote down their connection. Uh-huh, that was smart, Nicole. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, he was, it doesn't say. <laughs> I do that to myself all the time. <laughs> like, that was smart. But, and, but she had she had a lot of people like this in her life. She had, like, her address book was basically filled with people that she had just stayed with for a short period of time, had crossed path with, paths with, and was just like, 
cool we're friends now after like one conversation at a bar and never saw them again so this was probably just another person that she might have stayed with for a little while if i remember properly i think that's who it was okay um but again there was absolutely no evidence against him um a lot of it was just theories and the lapd tried a little too hard to get dylan to confess um uh. so the da was like eh, we don't really like that very much and so the da started their own separate investigation oh man and this is where things got a little bit fucked up because things started to not match um they put together a grand jury to review the lapd's case because as the da started to investigate they were starting to find that a lot of the da's evidence wasn't really lining up with the lapd's oh um but even after the grand jury heard everything that was going on, they believed that the case was still being handled properly. They said that it is mostly publicity and the interference of all of the media and people that want to be involved that it's causing this case to go say, go so haywire. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people were really afraid to come forward because of the publicity issues. They knew that the moment they like stepped foot into a police station and mentioned her name, they were going to be on the front page of some newspaper because everything that happened with this case for a long time was a big deal. Right. Um, so these years have gone past and they've got all but basically nothing. They have little pieces of evidence here and there that got them nowhere. Oh my God. Uh, um, that's so frustrating. As of 1949, which was two years after her death, they had over 316 suspects narrowed down to 107, 50 of whom they had arrested and then released because they had no evidence. They also um, eliminated 19 people who made false confessions as of that year. As of 1951, another two years later, they had over 33 false confessions made. Oh, my God. Which, it's like, no wonder they were having such a hard fucking time. They immediately stuck this case straight into the media, and everybody became obsessed with this. This is one of the most famous cases ever. This is like, you know, Jack the Ripper shit. Exactly. Where people would write their own letters to, like, do, and it was, like, not right. And it's like, okay, no, that's not helpful. You were actually making it very hard you to solve this You are being detrimental. Um, so, this fact was trying to figure out how to word this there was a list of suspects that was compiled they reviewed the remaining suspects and created this list of six people and these were the people that they were convinced were the ones that could have had something like truly to do with this case okay this this was something that the da did okay this was never made public knowledge Oh, and you'll want to remember this fact because one of those six people was a man named George Hoodell. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We got to it. <sighs> so George actually made the list because he was actually at the time a suspect in another unsolved case. And this was technically a case that was an overdose, but... It was suspicious. It was super sus. And it was his secretary. His secretary? Yep. Okay. Oh, 
you'll get more info on this soon. Okay. Um, so in February of 1950, three years after Beth's death, they took George in for questioning. And while they brought George down to the police station for questioning, they broke into his house. They broke it. <laughs> okay. And bugged it. And bugged it? And bugged it. Okay. So, just so you know, George Hadell lived on Franklin Ave in L.A. Okay. His house is very infamous. I believe it still stands today. It does. Um, I've seen pictures of it. And they literally broke into this house and bugged it. Uh, and Which like is I so illegal because they can't use any of that evidence now. Well... I mean, at that time, who knows if that was even a law. Oh, that's but true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> this was 1950. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> we were lucky that they all the cops weren't corrupt. Um, <laughs> that's true. So they placed him under surveillance to the point of having somebody outside actively listening, like parked not far down, like not far down the street, listening to the goings on. Okay. Um, unfortunately, they didn't get too much because several months later, George up and moved to Hawaii. And then after Hawaii, he moved all the way to Asia and was there for a very long time. Oh, lovely. So remember this because it comes back. It's forgotten. And then it comes back with a fucking vengeance. Okay. So after this, they basically had nothing. The case just grew super cold. They got no more. They would get calls all the time, but none of them were anything at all. This case just like that was was cold. cold. Okay. So. So sad. um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about George Waddell first. Because it goes into the second half of this. George Waddell was born in 1907 in L.A. He was an only child. He was a musical prodigy. He was playing his own piano compositions at the Shrine Auditorium in California by the age of nine. What? Yep. His IQ was 186. For those who do not know, that is one point above Einstein. Holy shit. Okay. He graduated high school at the age of 14. Um, but when his mother passed away, he actually quit playing piano. He hated it. She wanted him to be a musician so bad. She forced him to play piano. She like would not let him do anything else. He would come home and be like, mom, I want to play, play, go play baseball. And she was like, no, that's going to mess up your hands. You're a musician. And like forced him to play piano all the fucking time. Um, and so when she died, he quit. He absolutely resented his mother for it. He just, that was it. Okay. Um, After that, he ended up actually going to medical school to become a surgeon. Oh. He graduated medical school. He met a woman who is very important to this story because together they have a few children. Um, They get married. They started a family, like I mentioned. He starts a medical practice and they moved into this historical house. Okay. The whole family moves into this house on Franklin Ave. Okay. Um, this woman is Steve Hadell's mother. Their son. He plays a very, very big part in basically discovering all of the evidence 
that prove George Hedell killed Elizabeth Short. Okay, I'm ready. So, after they live together for a little while, there's this little family scandal that leads to him divorcing Steve's mother. And this just happened to be the fact that he was uh, uh, misdiagnosing patients with gonorrhea and, like, writing them all these really expensive prescriptions and, like, charging them tons of money and they weren't actually sick. Um, So a lady he diagnosed was like, I don't really believe you and went and got a second opinion. And they were like, "Uh, no, 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 you don't have gonorrhea. What the fuck? And so he went to her, to George's secretary, told them all, told her all about this. And they were going to expose George. This woman. This woman. Okay. Well, George didn't like that very much. Well, yeah. So, uh, George visited his secretary one night. And he calls his wife and is like, honey, I'm, I cannot, I did not write her name and I'm really terrible. And is like, I'm at the secretary's house. She's overdosing. I need your help get here right away and he claims that when he showed up she had overdosed they rushed her to the hospital where she died 20 minutes later because this other lady told her because she was going to help expose him and so they knew this was sus but they could never prove it and this is what ended his marriage so after this is when he moved to Hawaii Okay. Um, so all of this happened like relatively soon, like right before Elizabeth's murder. Like okay. This is like all around the same time because three months later he's in Hawaii. Okay. Um, so he moved around a little bit after this, eventually moving far east to Asia where he actually lived in Manila. Um, oh. He married another woman out there. He over time had married four times and he had a total of 11 children oh my god i could find 10 of their names okay because i found one source that was like he had 10 children and named 10 children and then one source which i think is absolutely amazing you guys should really go listen to is actually a podcast which i will explain why it is significant in a few minutes um but they were like he had 11 children and these were relatives of his that hosted said podcast. So I was like, well, I'm going to believe them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so he had 11 children. Um, at the time of his death, only seven of his children were still living. He's, his kids, as far as I could find, again, like I said, there was one name I could not find. There was Duncan, Tamar, Michael, John, Steve, Calvin, Teresa, Diane, Ramon, and Mark. Ramon, Michael, and John had all passed before George himself passed away. Okay. Um, so, as I had mentioned, one of his sons, Steve Hadell, becomes a very big player in this story. Steve grew up to become an LAPD detective. <laughs> he also went on to write a book. And that book is called Black Dahlia Avenger. And the reason all this came about is because 
George was not great in connecting with his children. Mm-hmm. He was very cold, wasn't very loving. There's like pictures of him with his kids sitting on their lap, but like you can tell he's just not happy. Like he was just not somebody who was meant to be a father. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, the Steve, sorry, said that he didn't have a real relationship with his father until he himself was in his 50s and George was in his 80s. Hmm. Um, he lived very briefly with him as a kid before his parents divorced and they moved out. Um, and he grew up, did his thing, became a detective. And this is his first wife. This was his second wife. Steve is his second wife? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's very confusing. It's very so where Steve comes into play is that again he started building this relationship later in George's life and at one point in 1973 um, George actually asked Steve to move to Manila to take over the business he had created out there huh um he was like come work for me right now and eventually you can take over like I'm getting older and Steve, he said at the time, he was like, I was 32. I had just made Homicide Detective. Like, and he said it was for the Hollywood Homicide Team. I was like, that sounds like a freaking fictional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not. Probably. It's not. Um, it might be not anymore a thing, but. <laughs> okay. Um, so he humored him. He was like, he went and visited, spent some time with him. But in the end of it. Is that the fish? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At first I thought there was a crazy ass bird outside. Macy has like those fish that like wiggle around for her cat. And <laughs> one of them just started going off downstairs and it sounds like something screeching outside. They're motion activated. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Distracted. It's fine. Um, so like I said, he humored him, visited him, but ended up declining the offer. He was like, I don't think I could work for my father. He seems kind of controlling in the work environment. Like, this is just not what I want to do. I'm happy where I am. So he declined this offer. They went about their lives. They continued living until May 16th of 1999, when George Hadell died at the age of 91 from congestive heart failure. Okay. And this is what starts the downward spiral. Oh, gosh. So... Steve became very aware of George's connection to Elizabeth Short after his death. Okay. When uh, he flew out to Asia um, to visit June, who was his current wife at the time of his death, June had found a family photo album along with a letter that uh, George had previously written for her, but never given to her. She, he, I'm sorry, he had actually written this note at a point where he wasn't doing very well and they thought he was going to die. So he wrote this note for her and was like, I want to talk to you about this. But he ended up getting better. So they never talked about it and the note was kind of shoved away. But then he actually passed of natural causes and she found the note again. Okay. Okay. So she gave him the family photo album along with this letter and was like, I can't make much sense of this letter. I want you to look at it and tell me what you think of it. Um, it turned out that this was actually a suicide note. 
George was planning to take a bunch of sleeping pills that he had gathered over time from prescriptions he had been writing for his wife. And he was going to take them and commit suicide. Oh. The letter instructed, like, told her all of this and instructed June to, after his death, destroy all of his belongings. Oh. Well, June didn't do this. Um, and this photo album, Steve had never seen before. He was like, hmm, wonder what's in this. He starts flipping through this photo album. And there's pictures. He finds pictures of him and his siblings as kids, you know, in the Franklin Ave house, his, his father, his mother, um, all these people. And as he's flipping, he starts to see pictures of George with some random woman. And then there's another random lady he doesn't recognize. There's like, all of a sudden there's these faces of people he doesn't know. Huh. One of them he looks at and goes, wow, that looks like the Black Dahlia. Because he's a police officer. Because he fucking knows. And this was before <sighs> he knew anything. He knew nothing. Okay? So, okay. now I'm going to give you a little bit more of the gruesome backstory of Joe Richardell. Oh, lovely. <sighs> so, I'm not yawning because you're boring. I'm just, that wine just like hit me yeah, like a ton fine. of brick. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you hate me. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't, I promise. <laughs> so, George, uh, sorry, Steve comes to find out that this is not the first time that George has been connected to Elizabeth Short. And this is after he mentions this to his sister, Tamar. That he found this photograph and is like, I think this is the Black Dahlia. And she's like, well, did you know that he was, like, accused of killing her? And he was like, huh? <laughs> no. What? And she proceeds to tell him about her childhood and his connection. And this is a little bit disturbing. So another little BATW here. Big ass trigger warning. Um, when Tamara was a little girl, she ran away and ended up with police and told the police that George had been having incestuous relations with her. And had forced her to have an illegal abortion after impregnating her. And this was not the first time he had raped her. That it happened many times. And many things like this happened in the house often. What? She, I, she was a very young girl. Um, I believe she was somewhere around 12 years old. When, all when he started doing it? They went to court, and she's just a little girl, and they painted her as a pathological liar. And so he was exonerated. Nothing was brought against him. And the way they painted her as a pathological liar in court on recorded transcripts they asked her, did you ever accuse your father of killing the Black Dahlia? 
something that was just absurd in that time. Oh, you accused him of killing the Black Dahlia? Like, what? Ha ha. That's absurd. But it wasn't. Oh, yikes. So she tells Steve all of this. And then she also tells Steve that it is less than a year after this trial that she ends up pregnant again. And this time, they sweep her off to some convent where she's forced to give birth to this child, and then it's taken from her. It's after this that Tamar runs away and moves to Hawaii and has no more contact with her father. This child that is birthed from this incestuous relationship, her name is Fauna. And some of you might know the story of Fauna. It was turned into a miniseries for TNT called I Am the Night. It is very good, not entirely true. Fauna never had an interaction with George Hadell like the show depicts. Okay. Um, I believe she only ever very like close came in contact with him once but didn't actually meet him okay and it was like just because they happened to be in the same city at the same time and she never actually like had this full-on brawl battle with him in his house like the show shows okay got um, it <laughs> got it also as much as i love chris pine his character is not real <laughs> they like ma- his name is jay singletary and they have him as like a a, a reporter that wants to like prove hadell is guilty and got it like goes through all these extra lengths to help fauna find tamar and like all the shit and he's not a real person got it. um it is very good. I do highly recommend it, but it's not. Yeah, I haven't accurate. finished it, so don't tell me everything. Um, <laughs> it's it's on Hulu. <laughs> in case you're wondering, um, Hulu. so she tells Steve all about this, and she tells him that like you know this is something I've never told anybody outside of when this went to court. I have only told a few of my now children, like. Nobody knows about this. It Her mom a, didn't even know about it? At the time, it was a stepmother. Okay. And she very much hated her stepmom. Okay. And she testified against her. Who did? Her stepmother. What the fuck? Uh, okay. I know. It's the whole thing's fucked. If, listen, okay. I will explain this now because the backstory of this trial and everything that happened with George Hadell and Tamar and all of his wives and all of his kids is really fucking fucked. And I could talk about it for literally episodes on end. Okay. There is an entire podcast dedicated to this that I told you about. And it's called Root of Evil. And it is hosted by Fauna's daughters. Oh, yes. I've heard about this. Yvette and Rasha are her two daughters. And they chose to do this podcast after she passed away in 2017. Okay. Um, and they actually ended up finding that she had a storage unit that she like never let anybody see. She recorded all these tapes that she never let anybody hear. So after she passed, Yvette and Rasha went and found all of these tapes. They went through her storage unit and found like all of this stuff, these things that she had written and recorded and went through all of it and basically compiled it into this eight episode um, podcast called Root of Evil. And I cried. The last episode made me cry. 
which Aww. was super great because I'd already cried enough. And I was uh. like, I've had a rough few, day, rough few days. Um, and it like, it brings together, the last episode brings together not just Fauna's daughters, Yvette and Rasha, but the children that Tamar had had while she was living on Hawaii. Okay. So she had had a few different children and they all come together and they have like this open table, like, oh, they talk just about lay it all it? out. Because they they decided together, they were like, we're going to make it known what truly happened. We want people to have the right story because there's so much that, are, that goes around out there so on the internet. Fauna's daughters. It's Fauna's daughters. And then Tamar's, Tamar's other children. children. Yes. Okay. So they're aunts and uncles. Yeah. So it's it's technically, it's Rasha and Yvette's like aunts and uncles. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, and it is, it is very heavy. They talk to Steve. They okay. talk to several other um, aunts and uncles. They talk to a lot of people. Okay. And it's it's very information packed and it's very well done. I highly recommend this if you want to know anything about George Adele. Okay. There's awesome. also like I mentioned the book that Steve wrote called Black Dahlia Avenger. He goes very in depth. But about George Haddell about and not Elizabeth. I was gonna say a lot of it was about George Haddell and his backstory and it was like it was so information packed that I like I couldn't believe it. Guys, I listened to the audiobook and it was 19 hours long. Oh my god. 19. That's really fucking long. Um, um yes. It's really is. good. It's just like if you want his backstory, that's where you go. I'm not going to go that much into this backstory because this is not This, this is not about George Adele. This is not about Tamara. This is not about Fauna. Yes, it comes into play in the story, but that's not what I'm talking about. This is strictly about Elizabeth Short. Okay. Um I'll buy it. The, the like like I said, the story of Fauna and, T- and Tamar is very interesting. I do recommend going to listen to the stuff. Okay, but just know it's not Black Dahlia related. Mostly, it's more about George. Um, Got it. So, okay, so like I said, Tamar explains all of this to Steve, and is like, "This is this this is what happened. This is life, and this is when Steve is like." This is absolutely crazy. This was the man I had just started to build a relationship. This was my father. Like, and she's telling me he had incestuous relationships with my siblings. Like, what? Mm. And so, um, he actually starts his own investigation into George Hadell. Hmm. And he has said... He was like, I went into this investigation with the mindset of I'm going to prove his innocence. Oh, no. That is not what he got. So, he uh, obviously an LAPD detective, so he knows how to run an investigation. Right. Um, so, he starts with simple things. He takes what he has, which is the handwritten letter that he had left for June. He takes that along with the letter that was sent to the LAPD from the anonymous killer and sends it off for handwriting analysis. Does it come back? Guess what came back is a fucking match. (laughs) Oh my god. He's probably like, 
Damn it. He literally was like, what? Damn it, dad. So this is immediately like, what? Um, so he starts to look into other things. So wait, the only the envelope had the like letters cut out on it? Yeah. There was a few other things like inside and there was like I, like I mentioned, there was other letters that were sent over time. There wasn't just this one envelope. There were just letters that were never released publicly that I, at least personally, that I could not find. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Um, so he compared the handwriting from these letters to the letters father had written. And they were like, yep, it matches. Oh, my God. Um, so he was like, hmm, okay. So he starts going through all of these records that his father had comes to find a receipt this receipt is for 10 five pound bags of concrete the same sized bag that was found with water diluted blood on it at the crime scene oh that was used to move move her her body and they were purchased not long before her body was discovered yowza he steve then went to attempt um to obtain records from the lapd and he was denied because this is still technically an active investigation. Yeah, open case. Which, I hate to say, is still true. This is still an active investigation. Ugh! Um, and now you have all this evidence to prove that he po- he probably did it and you don't look at it? Oh, just wait. Okay, okay. Um, so, he was like, alright. And they tell him, they were like, look, even if we could give it to you, you're not going to get a lot out of it. They told him, they were like, all of the cops that originally worked on the case are dead. Oh my God. All of the witnesses are dead. They were like, most of the physical evidence is gone. Right. They were like, it's been lost over time. We have none of it. Oh my God. Yeah. Isn't that sad? Like, hmm, you're a freaking police station and you can't hold on, hold on to physical records. That makes me sad. Yeah. Um. So they basically told him, even if we could get this to you, it's dead end. Um, so what he did was... He got the names of the original cops and tracked down people that they knew. He tracked down, like, family of the original investigators. He tracked down, like, the... I can't, one, one of the articles was, like, he tracked down, like, the, the fucking, like, dental assistant of one of the original investigators, like, daughters. It was, like... <laughs> like the investigator's daughter's dental assistant that like heard rumors like through the office and shit like and he like interviewed as many people as he could track down that had any kind of distant connection okay and one thing kept popping up and it was that a lot of the original cops thought it had something to do with the man that lived on franklin ave and Steve was also given um, a lot of original crime scene photos. That is one thing he was able to get. Well, yeah, they're public information. Well, the thing is, a lot of these photos had not been released to the public. These were actual crime scene photos. There was a a lot of the photos we see were taken by reporters. reporters. Yeah. So they have all the super detailed photos from the crime scene that they gave him. Okay. And one thing he could not get over was how Elizabeth Short's body was posed. And over time, he started to remember that growing up, George Hadell had had a friend. And this friend was an artist and a photographer. His name was Man Ray. Two words. Man Ray. I Don't <laughs> ask me. Um, <laughs> okay. He was a surrealist artist. 
who was a super good friend that often took family portraits for them. Okay. George Haddell also liked to collect his work. Okay. One piece of his work, which I will post because you can Google and find it, is called The Minotaur. And this photo, I'm sorry, this piece of art, depicts a woman cut into many, many pieces. Her arms are above her head. She is naked. She's cut in half in the middle. She's also sliced in a few other places. But her legs are spread. It is very, very similar to the position that Elizabeth Short was found in. Was the painting made before, or like the art piece of art made before her death? Shit. Okay. Yeah, I nodded there, guys. Um, yeah, she, she confirmed it. And um, just so you guys know, a minotaur is from Greek mythology. Yeah. And it is a half man, half bull that was put inside the labyrinth to feed on virgins. Oh. So lovely. the other connection that he found was another piece of art from Man Ray. And this photo is called Lover's Lips. And in which you see this giant pair of lips in the sky. And down below on the field is the body of a naked woman lying in the grass. And one specific thing that he ended up matching up was that the face of the woman lying in the field in this piece of art has these hash marks on it. Huh. Now, one thing that they noted in her autopsy was that Elizabeth Short's hip had odd hash marks carved into it. Just like the photo. Weird. Overall, after reviewing all of Man Ray's art that he could really find, he found over 10 connections between Elizabeth Short's case and her body and everything. And his artwork. Weird. Okay. And he was very good friends with George Haddell. And George collected his art. The so do you think like he knew that George was doing this? Or that like George was just doing it? And like not telling him about it? I think George liked his art. And was highly influenced by it. I don't think Man Ray knew at least personally, that's what I would like to see. I don't, I couldn't I mean, who knows? see a way that. If the painting or if all the, if most of the art came out before this. Yeah. Then I could be like, yeah, he didn't know about this. You know? Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Hey, you're good. Um, questions. So his investigation also led him to a few other murders somewhere in Chicago that were kind of similar but one that really caught his eye was a murder that happened in Manila. Just down the road from where his father was living. Oh. <laughs> it was the murder of a 28-year-old woman who was found dismembered and left naked. Just like Beth Short. Like in the same position and stuff? Not in the same position, but naked and dismembered. Okay. I mean, that's still a pretty big connection. So, he brought all this evidence um, together and wrote 
his book Black Dahlia Avenger. Okay. Now, before this book came out, he knew that this was going to be big. This is a big case. People are going to flock to this book. He wants to fact check it. So this book is already, he's done. It's like going to print. It's like in print right now. He's about to release it. This is like weeks before release. Okay. He takes all of this evidence to the DA. Shows them what they found. He has a meeting with the assistant DA. The assistant DA looked at all of this evidence and said, based on everything he had found, he would have arrested George Fidel and charged him with murder. And he thinks that that evidence is all enough that he would have won the trial too. Oh my God. So okay. George is like, I'm sorry, not George, Steve is like, holy shit. He's like, that's like, that's what I wanted to hear. That I have done this successfully. That like, I helped push this case forward. He had pictures of her in a fucking album. Mm-hmm. Like, his handwriting fucking match. The stupid fucking letters. I like. You can't even say, like, he can't even be like, I didn't know her. Like, you know, I mean, George is dead, but, you know. I um, digress. So. What does that TikTok guy say? I digreg. <laughs> I digreg. <laughs> <laughs> you don't follow Gregisms, you should on TikTok. <laughs> Funny as hell. Um, so, he's super reassured. He's like, that's absolutely amazing. And they bring it to a fact checker just to go through everything. The fact checker goes to <laughs> the LAPD and is like, I just want to look at your files and kind of check some, check some facts. And one of the current investigators is like, oh, well, one of the original people that worked on this case stuck a box of files in the file vault. Nobody's touched it since. So he goes and he gets this box. And inside this box is all of the information that just helped confirm everything that Steve had found. Oh, my God. This is when Steve found the list of the six narrowed down suspects, one of which was George Hadell. Oh, my God. And then he also found that they had bugged his house. And they still had the tapes. Oh, my God. So they have a few different things. They said a lot of it was really just general, boring, blah, blah, blah. But there were a few things on those tapes that were hella sus. Sus, 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 <laughs> sus, 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 sus. <laughs> you're really suspicious. You're really suspicious. Don't be suspicious, <laughs> but you're already suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> you done fucked up. I am suspecting you. Anyway. <laughs> so, in on the recording from February 19th of 1950, they marked down that on this tape, after several hours of not hearing some sounds, there's a woman screaming. What? You can hear her faintly screaming in the distance, along with some loud banging and then some more screaming and then silence. And this was listened to live by cops sitting down the road in their car and they did nothing. They did 
nothing. And this is after they already suspected him of killing the secretary, right? Mm-hmm. So then and they now bugged the house. So he's suspected of killing the secretary and they bugged his house because they think he had involvement with Elizabeth Short. And then they hear on the day that... On February 19th of 1950, they hear this ominous screaming. And they do nothing. So that's another person, though. That's not Elizabeth. That's another person. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Ugh! Okay. So, a few hours later, George says... And now, this is the quote that I got directly from Steve Haddell. He says this in the podcast I listened to. Okay. It's very choppy. I'm assuming it was probably because in the 1950s, when you bug somebody's house, the audio wasn't the greatest. (laughs) But this is the direct quote. Suppose and I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. Realized there was nothing I could do, put a pillow over her head and covered her with a blanket. Get a taxi, call J- George's St. Hospital right away. Expired 12.39. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. Drops Mike. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and they didn't. And they didn't do anything about it. And they did nothing. Nothing. <laughs> well, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have nothing to say. Isn't that magnificent? That's nice. Nothing to say. That's kind. Like, oh, well, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it. My secretary's dead. So the secretary knew something. Oh my God. Uh, so the secretary knew something, not just about the gonorrhea shit. <gasps> Isn't that wild? And this is stuff that like, this is, this is oh fucking on. This is in LAPD fucking evidence files. That they had locked away in some fucking vault. Yes. They weren't looking at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck? So since all of this came out. Um, Steve actually released an updated version of Black Dahlia Adventure. Of the book? Yes. Okay. Um, which is the one I listened to. Um, excuse me. Um, he said he would absolutely not rest until they closed this case. He's to the point where his family is actually slightly concerned because he's a little bit obsessed with it. But, but they already said that they would have charged him and like, he, yeah. you can't do anything that's now. He's not alive. But that's the thing is, is like, they're like, we're slightly concerned, but we're also really fucking proud of him because like, he basically broke this case wide open and nobody's taking him seriously. And he just is fighting for justice so hard. Like, this is his father. This is his fucking yeah. father. And his, he's like, literally and trying to get him convicted. Like, but how can you do that when he's dead? I mean, at least they can they can be like, yes, he clearly did this. Like, no, you can't talk to him anymore. But like the fucking evidence clearly points like right. George Haddell did this. Right. Closed. Um, so one of his most recent attempts, actually, he m- managed to give um, a couple envelopes that George had like licked and touched and ended up being able to give a full DNA wake up to the LAB- LAPD in case they ever come across any DNA in this case. Huh. Um, 
And at the time, he was like, yeah, they really didn't have anything to compare it to. And they were kind of just like, yeah, whatever, thanks. Like, they, and he, he said a few times that, like, they were almost uninterested in helping him with this. They were like, it's a cold case. Like, we don't have time for this. Yeah, like a really old cold case. Of course they'd say that. So a few years later, he goes to a local museum. And there is a display there on this case, of which includes many of the envelopes that the letters were sent in to the LAPD. The letters that this supposed killer wrote. And they never tested them. They refused to. He went to them and went, I gave you a full DNA workup. You have these envelopes. Why aren't you trying to find DNA on them? Like, there's, there's, that's it. That's what you need. Like, that's going to say he did this or he did not do this. Yeah. That's like the biggest fucking yes or no you could fucking ask for. Yeah. Duh. And they were like, we don't have time for this. We don't, we don't have time to work on cold cases like that. They but, they, but it's still an open case, and they still they can't give him any. People shit are still assigned to this case. They still assign. They actively assign people to this case. There's, but they're not going to look into evidence. But they won't. They won't look into evidence. They could literally prove whether or not the number one fucking suspect that has been on the number one suspect list For a since while. the 1950s. They could fucking say he did it or he did not do it, and they will not test it. That's so fucked. <laughs> I would have gone to the museum. And I'm like, I want those. I'm going to fucking steal them. Give me those. Take them to the fucking No, pops. I would have just, I just would have <laughs> been like, can you, like, swab one of these for me? <laughs> Give it to me. And then, like, sent it to one of those 23 and me and he <laughs> he literally was like, I don't understand. This could literally end the entire investigation. This like, could solve it. This you could, could literally. The, you could be the officers that solve this thing. Solve the fucking Elizabeth Short case. Like, this could be the end of this case. And they will not do it. Do you think it's like pressure? I don't know. Huh. Weird. Okay. So, basically, since then, nothing has happened. This case is still listed as open and active. It is constantly having new people assigned to it. They just like stick it on some rookie's desk and are like, this is your problem now. If I was that rookie, I'd be like, give me that DNA. George Fidel <laughs> remains one of the main suspects. Oh, man. Um, but other than that, that's it. That's all there is. That's the end of this case. Because they refused to test the envelopes. And who knows when this was. And who knows where they are if they're if, still if showing they them in a museum. Say if they still have them in condition enough to even try and get DNA from them. Oh, my God. I mean, and that's to say if he even licked them. He did well, have, like, a genius IQ. Exactly. He could have fucking glued them shut with a stupid glue stick. But at least if you tested it, you'd fucking know. Now there's this open-ended, like, you could have shut this case... Why won't you do proven anything? Proven that George Hedell didn't do it. Why will you not do anything? What is going on that you will not do anything? Is there any theory as to why, if he did kill her, why he did kill her? Not that I can find. Because I know that, like, in American Horror Story, like, the very first season, Murder House, he's supposed to be in it. 
like there's a character that's based on him and he's given like backdoor abortions and that's what kills yep he the lady he at the time had the lapd in his pocket because he did he performed backdoor abortions and they were all high-end cops cheating on their wives and they'd bring those girls to him when they got pregnant course he wasn't listening so he basically owned the lapd he owned a lot of reporters he had a lot of people in his pocket but i just don't get it was there like in the um the manila case was there the same type of torture or it was just i couldn't find anything else about it okay i mean he did it I, I'm 100% convi- convinced that George Fidel killed Elizabeth Short. If the, the handwriting short. matched and they, like, and there was, like, stuff in there that only the killer probably would have known, then, like, he did it. Why else would you, in your last will and testament, basically, tell your wife to destroy all your remaining belongings? Because you know that there's a photograph in there of you with Elizabeth Short. That's why. How did he meet Elizabeth Short? This is going to drive me crazy. He used to host a lot of parties. He used to have a lot of these. Uh, and they and show that in, in Into the Night or whatever it is, right? I, I Am the Night, yeah. I Am the Night. They were the a little bit more gross than what they depict in that. They were like orgies and orgies. Shit. Not just like skimpy lingerie parties. They were like full-blown orgies. So, like, he was a man that liked to, like, have sex and, like, the act of having sex, but actually having, like, the consequences, which is, like, pregnancy Mm -hmm. of of that act was something that he was, like, not interested. Mm -hmm. That's, like, I'm so, oh, my God, I can't talk about this because it's my case. But narcissistic personality disorder. They defined him as very robotic. He was a narcissist. He was, yes. He was very intelligent and there's actually um, there's a scene in I am the night and it's a flashback to his childhood Uh and he has a piano lesson and after the piano lesson he like runs up and is sitting on the stairs and he's watching his mother talk to the piano teacher and the, the piano teacher tells his mother he's very very talented. He picks this up very fast and he can play very well. But he'll never be famous because of it. Because he plays without emotion. He was a robot. So he's a sociopath. He was, yeah. He was so smart that he, I mean, even even Steve said in his book, they didn't have great relationships with him as kids because he didn't know how to be a father. He He was like emotionally unavailable. Yeah. He was cold and I, I my thing is just I want to know how the interaction with Elizabeth started and what I like I don't like whatever fuck George O'Dell he did it my it guess seems like he did it my guess is the parties I believe that that would probably be how he met her um when he hosted these parties, they would 
you know, the men would come and they'd bring their young women and so she probably just like came as a guest. She or probably and, and she spent a lot of time hopping from place to place, hanging out with the wrong crowd, with older men, and she could have just ended up there one night and he took an interest in her. I mean, just that poor woman. She did not like the that what happened to her is unspeakable. Mm-hmm. The fact that she died as a result of hemorrhaging and shock and a concussion from the repeated blows to the head and the cuts to her fucking face. The fact that she was sodomized with that shit shoved up her her she lady bits literally was sodomized and then had part of her own flesh sliced off her body and shoved inside of her. She was forced to eat feces. And we were talking about this when we took a break. I was like, this gives me like serious like human centipede vibes. And I don't like that. That made me sick when I watched that trailer. I like <laughs> I cannot to this day watch that movie. I've never seen the trailer and I've never seen don't, the movie. Don't. And I have absolutely no desire to literally ever subject I myself like to horror that. movies i like horror movies that's not but horror for me, that's just that's gross. just disgusting like that's not even a horror movie that's just like you trying to like be gross exactly like ugh. no absolutely not oh but yeah you said that and i literally was like we need to we need to turn off the mic like i'm very <laughs> i'm i i'm i'm like gagging like gagging like <laughs> can't it, do that it's just <sighs> That poor woman. She, like, did not deserve that. She only became famous because she died. Yeah. No one will solve her murder. Oh, and the one fun fact that I forgot to throw in there. Oh, don't do his this to da- me. His daughter, Tamar. You want to know how he got her really unique name? How? From a poem that was written about incestuous relationships that was called Tamar. Ew. The guy who wrote that poem also wrote a poem called fauna did he name fauna though i don't know or was that something that tamar came up with still weird still weird no idea still weird don't like that i don't like it i don't like anything about it zero things all i know is that all of the children that have come out of that home tamar's children they are still dealing with this today. It's really sad. Like, it translated very much into Tamar's parenting style. She abused her own kids. Sexually. No. Yep. Oh, no. They said she, like, was almost incapable of loving them because of how damage she had been from george i mean i get it and i get the psychology of it but that just makes me so sad it's like and one of them said in the podcast when they all sat down together was like i don't understand how that wouldn't deter her why wouldn't you become a parent and say i don't want to be like that right but at that point this had been happening to her since, since she, she was, was an adolescent. A child. This is something that she was raised thinking was normal. 
I mean, I, I, like, guys, do not approve. Zero percent approve of this. A lot of people who are abused as children do not end up being abusers. No, they don't. So. But. But I get understand the psychology, the psychology yeah. about how that could damage a person's psyche so much to the point where you literally don't know any better. Exactly. And Not right. Just they they talk about what um, it is. One of her sons talked about like he remembered sleeping with a girl when he was like barely a teenager. And not understanding that it wasn't normal. And then growing up and learning that that was, like, not how things were supposed to be. These kids basically were raised in an environment where they thought that this was the norm. She lived a very secluded life on Hawaii with all of her children. And they're extremely damaged to this. And it was to the point where, like... And can you imagine Fauna finding out that she is a byproduct of this? She found out. <sighs> From Tamar, okay, right? So she like, found Tamar. Listen, I, I literally can tell you all this. I can answer all these questions. So Fauna found out when she was 18. She went looking for her biological mother. She had been raised by a woman named Jimmy Lee. She was a black woman. She had been. Tamar had actually given her to Jimmy Lee. Jimmy Lee was working as a. It was Tamar that gave her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was working, um, well, I'm sorry, it wasn't. I believe it was either somebody who was, oh, hi, little Lainey. Hi. She just let out the, oh, shoot, we got back. I'm sorry. <laughs> but she, um, was working as a bathroom attendant. And, like, it was at a place that she, um, I believe it was either a friend or, like, somebody who knew her. Whether it was, like, a nurse or somebody that knew of the situation. Because I know I Am the Knight says it was for, like, mom. And she, like, kind of gained, like, a small relationship with her because she frequented this place where she was literally a bathroom attendant. And one day was like, do you want a child? And she originally, Jimmy Lee, thought it was a joke. And then she saw her again and was like, why didn't you pick up, come and get the child? And she was like. I didn't think you were serious. And she was like, no, like I'm serious. And so for a long time, Fauna was raised thinking she was, she was half African American because that is what Jimmy Lee had told her. She didn't even know until she found her birth certificate. Shit. And then she went and talked to her real mother. She tracked her down when she was 18 and found her in Hawaii. And she, she said, um, in one of the tapes, and like they they play a lot of her tapes in this podcast and it's really sad you you hear her talk about the fact that she like she remembers walking on the beach with Tamar when Tamar told her about the fact that George had raped her and everything that had happened leading up to her being taken away from her and all of that stuff and she basically mentally said like I need to leave because I think she's about to tell me that George is my father and it wasn't until two days before that Fauna died that she admitted that she thought George was her father. Oh she admitted God. it on her deathbed. Yowza! Look at Nicole coming out the gate strong with Cecil Hotel, which had nothing to do with this. Well, you want to know what's even more depressing? 
No. One of her daughters was like really. Wait, wait, which whose daughter? Sorry, one of Tamar's daughters. Okay. Her name was originally Deborah, and she wanted nothing more than to like make her mother happy. And for some reason, her mother always seemed happiest when she was talking about Fauna. And the fact that she, like, missed Fauna and wanted to see Fauna and, like, wanted to find Fauna to the point where she literally told her mother that she would change her name to Fauna. To make her happy. To try and make her happy. And so they did. They started started calling her Fauna. And she changed her name to Fauna. This is before they met the real Fauna? This was before they met the real Fauna. And when they did meet, she said that it was... It was actually, like, the one thing that brought a lot of tension between her and and actual Fauna. Deborah and Fauna. Deborah and Fauna. Because she had taken her name. And she said Fauna wasn't very happy about that. But, like, and she said... And this is this is one of the things they talk about in this the episode of the last episode where they all they're all sitting together that made me cry that she was like she was like I felt like she just absolutely had this distaste for me like I tried to take her life and she was like I I could never find the way to explain that I was simply trying to do this to make Tamar happy all I wanted to do was make my mother smile and like it wasn't because I wanted to be you it was because I wanted to just make my mom happy how hard must it be for her kids though to like just hear about fauna all the time and how amazing it would be to see fauna and like fauna 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 they fauna. literally called her fauna too Deborah mm-hmm fauna too what? this poor girl never even had her own identity like, I'd be like, fuck that at that point. I'd be like, whatever. I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm Deborah. <laughs> I'm my own person. It was, it was, they said it was all, it was very hard for all of them. It, it, was, it really is sad. I really recommend you guys listen to this podcast. It gives you a really good insight to George and the backstory of Tamar and Fauna and everything. I could tell you, I could literally tell you all about it. It's just. Well, that's what sucks though, is that you could tell us all about that. And then there's like this much about Elizabeth about Short. Elizabeth Short. About who she was. Yeah. Where are all the interviews with her family? With her friends? With her whatever? They basically, all I could find was that they like called to inform her mother. And that was it. And no reporters flew out there to talk to her mother? That is surprising that's, that's to like, me. I literally couldn't find anything. That's surprising to me. That there nobody was like, like how, who's your daughter? Tell us about her. Like, you know, like outside their door. Because let me tell you. In Schenectady, when the Unabomber was found and his brother lived two streets away from my parents, not a fucking joke, there were media outlets from all over outside his house. I believe it. Waiting to talk to him about how he knew it was his brother who was the Unabomber. That's surprising to me. This case is so big, you'd think that... They would have flown out to Mass to be like, tell us about your kid. Yep. Nothing. There was... Nothing that I could find. I couldn't find any statements from Cleo, her father. I couldn't find anything other than they were like, yeah, we called to inform her mother and her sisters. Like, there was no, they were distraught and upset. They said this. There was like, literally just like, we called them. That's so upsetting. And you'll see my source list. It's fucking huge. That's all I could find about her family. After her death. 
probably does. No. Now well, that, that major bummer has come to town. The major bummer's fucking saluting us in the corner. <laughs> I want to like find a little skeleton that's like a oh that's like an army guy. My God, I need a skeleton in an army or an army uniform that's saluting. Saluting and, me. And his little name tag says major bummer. <gasps> I need somebody to make this for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. We figured out who Major Bummer is, guys. He's our mascot outside of Alfred. Albert. Albert. Oh, my God. That was really bad. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm sorry, Albert. it's Albert. (gasps) It's like a... Oh, because, guys, if you guys haven't seen Albert yet, he's like... um, What do you call that? Oh, steampunk. Uh, He's a steampunk skeleton. So, he's a steampunk army skeleton saluting you love it it's major 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 albert bummer major albert bummer (laughs) (laughs) oh i can't okay guys i'm gonna tell you where you can find us (laughs) okay guys we are on lots of things um including patreon please if you feel so inclined Go sign up for our Patreon. We have two tiers. It's a dollar and two dollars. Um, we cheap dates. We are very cheap dates. Um, it's patreon.com slash buzzkillerspodcast. Patreon.com slash buzzkillerspodcast. Um, all of the money that you guys send to us helps us to make this podcast better. Um, we want to do some merch. We want to be able to spend more time doing our social media and other things like that. Um, we want to, you know, eventually get some equipment that is not borrowed thank you everyone who helps us um you know any money that you decide to donate to us would be to help us improve this podcast experience for you you. so um (laughs) if you feel so inclined please go um donate to our patreon um we are also on facebook and instagram at buzzkillers podcast at buzzkillers podcast we are on twitter at buzzkillers pod at buzzkillers pod we are on youtube um type in your little handy dandy search bar there buzzkillers colon a true crime podcast buzzkillers colon a true crime podcast (laughs) if you uh if if we get to 100 subscribers we get our own handle we're almost there we're we're getting there we're getting there um and then you can find us much easier so hit that little like and subscribe button please Um, (laughs) we are on tiktok there is nothing on tiktok i know we are planning on doing the tiktok please don't forget of us on tiktok we are at buzzkillers podcast on tiktok um (laughs) (laughs) and we have so much planned um like but like we said august was really really busy and so now that we are into september we're hoping we'll have a little bit more time to be able to do that i say we're in september we're set a little bit more into our new jobs yeah because i just got a new job nicole's got a new job right before me my husband just got a new job ryan just got a new job we all just got new jobs (laughs) we we all went on vacations our parents were all here it's been a month (laughs) it's been a busy like i think i've had something to do every single weekend this month or in august um yeah it also, I mean, it doesn't help that, I mean, guys, we live, you know, we're, we're near Syracuse. So there's the fucking New York State Fair. and <laughs> There's free concerts every day. There's like a million free concerts. I just saw the Beach Boys. They oh. were so good. I'm so happy. I saw Train. We saw Brothers Osborne. I saw Ario Speedwagon. And you saw Ario Speedwagon. I saw them. Were and they then good? They were really good. I didn't ask you about And them. then we saw Foreigner. Yeah, Foreigner was good. Uh, we were going to go see Third Eye Blind tomorrow, but they it's canceled. canceled. It's canceled. 
anyway, that's sad. Yeah. Um, but we are also anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, 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 <laughs> Google Podcast, mm-hmm. Amazon Music slash Audible, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and our host Platypus Podbean. And of course, we have www.buzzkillerspodcast.com, our lovely website where you can learn a little bit about us, learn about the wines that we drink. You can listen there if you want to, or you can send us a handy dandy email. We've already had two. I know we've had we in the last month. We were like all of a sudden we were like, oh my god, I'm getting an email. Like oh my god we got like, an email it was like three days later and i was like we got another email guys <laughs> we've got some podcast we've got some podcast uh topic recommendations we've got some t- um case recommendations yes so we will be doing another listener's choice very soon you guys yes we will um one of our awesome listeners zach sent us like a really interesting case that i can't wait to talk about um and then we've got a couple other things that have been told to oh, us so and then my mom's friend hi yes Mama V, Mama V shouting out the podcast. I love you, Mama <laughs> V. Thank you. Um, she told a work friend about the podcast. I'm trying to find her name right now. It's, it's in it's, the email. But she calls herself something sp- spaz. Yeah, she calls herself spaz. Hi, spaz. I, I was going to say it was something funny if I remember correctly. Hi, spaz. Thanks for listening to us. We are planning to cover the case that you talked about. So yep. Because Mama V also mentioned it. So yep. <laughs> now we have two reasons to cover it so (laughs) anyway guys it's been a long episode so we're gonna sign off so that we can go to bed um we have work in the morning (laughs) but we have work in the morning but we are very excited to come at you the rest of the month with more cases more spooky stuff from the cecil hotel and let me just tell you the next two months we already have planned we have been way better about planning ahead yes <laughs> because once like october comes i'm gonna be like all right let's plan for like december and beyond like yes. next four months because we planned for like four months up front we planned august september october november all up front should buy, like a planner yeah we should get a planner that'd be smart be really good we haven't done that yet no, um <laughs> <laughs> um so We've got some really cool things lined up for you. We've got some fun things that we're planning on doing. So Patreons, be on the lookout for that stuff. We're just going to be blowing up your lives with fun stuff. So uh, All the fun stuff. Don't be a buzz killer. Be a buzzard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we love you. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by BK Creations, LLC.